Hi everybody, happy Wednesday and welcome to this week's edition of 10 Minute Legal News. I'm Mark Dent uh, and as always, I'm gonna be here talking to y'all about the three major stories of the week. And so here's what we have on tap. Uh, first, um, there's a new NFT lawsuit and it involves Jay-Z. Uh, next, we'll be discussing why big law's top talents have been leaving for tech lately. And then finally, a little bit of analysis about one of the biggest SCOTUS decisions of the year, uh, which involves the NCAA. So first, uh, let's discuss the NFT and Jay-Z. So here's what happened. Uh, actually, to get to what happened, we have to go back to the mid-90s. And uh, this is when Jay-Z and another man named Damon Dash co-founded Rockefeller Records. Certainly, you've heard of Jay-Z's music. You've heard of Rockefeller. It's made him a billionaire. Uh, you know, he's released many huge albums uh, on Rockefeller. And him and Dash were partners basically for about 10 years, um, from about 94, 95 until about 2005. And then they, you know, they basically just severed their uh, business relationship. They had a falling out uh, related to uh, a, a couple of label disagreements and, and things like that. And uh, Dash uh, was still always a minority owner of Rockefeller Records and, and has been until this day. And, and as we know, what is happening these days uh, is NFTs, uh, the non-fungible tokens. They're, they're getting made for everything uh, from tweets uh, to paintings and also uh, music. And so this is going to be probably one of the biggest NFT deals yet. Um, Dash announced it uh, not long ago, and he was going to auction off the NFT of Jay-Z's debut album called Reasonable Doubt. And as part of that, he says that he was going to offer his share in Rockefeller Records to whoever bought the NFT. So obviously that would probably lead to a, a quite high purchase price for this NFT. Um, but Jay-Z, uh, and or rather Rockefeller Records, um, was not excited about this and they filed a lawsuit. And in their lawsuit, they actually claimed that, that Damon Dash said he would transfer all profits that Dash continues to make from sales of Reasonable Doubt to whoever bought this NFT of the album. And, uh, you know, the label said that uh, Dash cannot do that, that he has no rights to sell Rockefeller assets. So it's really kind of becoming a battle of Rockefeller said, Damon Dash said already. But um, a judge has already kind of swooped in, at least uh, in this early stage, and uh, for now has said that Dash cannot sell the NFT. He is, he is being prevented from doing that while, uh, you know, more things are considered. So this uh, could end up having a sort of different ending, uh, but for now, there will be no reasonable doubt NFT, or at least not one from Damon Dash. Um, and we will continue to see how the legal world treats NFTs in the future and whether this case ends up being a big one. All right, uh, moving on now. So, um, so far in 2021, uh, there's been a fairly large exodus of lawyers from big law. Now, obviously, it's not really news to have lawyers leave big law. It happens all the time. People get burned out. They work a lot of hours. Um, you know, they make enough money to where they can go try and do something else. Um, but uh, this year, you know, according to Reuters, uh, around 270 associates have left the top 10 firms in New York. And, and again, that's just so far in 2021. 
Um, so what are the reasons why? Uh, Reuters, you know, surveyed a lot of them and, and found a lot of it is work-life balance, the desire to live in a more affordable city, but also the lure of uh, tech. Um, these lawyers are not necessarily going uh, to become, you know, general counsels at, at tech companies right away, but they are going to firms that have a better relationship with Silicon Valley so they can do work with tech companies uh, through their firm. And, um, you know, part of this reason seems to be that tech companies fared the best of any, you know, during the down pandemic economy of, of last year. And also, you know, younger associates grew up in a tech-dominated world. Uh, they, they uh, you know, not necessarily revere, but they like the big tech companies uh, in ways that, uh, you know, the older lawyers do not. Now, of course, all this is going on even with salaries trending upward in big law. So that's sort of the interesting thing. Uh, as we kind of mentioned in the newsletter last week, uh, some of the biggest firms, in, including those in, uh, including many of the largest in New York City, have increased their first year associate salaries by about 15%, uh, 20% even to around 200 to $205,000. And, and they've made similar jumps uh, for associates who've been there for uh, two, three, four, five, and six years. So um, it, it's not, uh, the, the extra money is not necessarily keeping people there. However, these are still big firms and these are still um, you know highly sought after jobs. And so, for instance, one of these uh, firms, you know, that has been losing people, um, you know, in higher numbers this year has already hired 105 uh, lateral associates so far this year compared to just 107 all of last year. So they're making up for the loss um, so far. Um, now, how is this going to maybe change in the future? Well, as we know, the departures from big law happen all the time, but the rate uh, is likely to stay high, according to experts, and, and that's because you know firms are about to ask people to come back to the office, and uh, there's plenty of people who are not going to be ready to do that. Okay, final story of the week, and uh, again, as I mentioned, one of the biggest Supreme Court cases of this year, and you know, a pretty big one in recent memory. And so the NCAA, um, you know, the organization that has run college sports for over a century um, probably just had its biggest loss ever in the courtroom. So what happened was on Monday, uh, the Supreme Court uh, had handed down a 9-0 unanimous decision uh, that, that basically said that the NCAA's longtime justification for amateurism was no longer sufficient. And, and again, amateurism is you know more or less the NCAA uh, saying that their athletes cannot be paid and cannot uh, use their name, image, and likeness. And um, the NCAA had always said that this amateurism was necessary to distinguish its product from the professional sports and therefore uh, have its product be better, more engaging for, um, for consumers. And, um, you know, it, it was more or less a de facto ability to cap wages in a way that no other industry could do without facing an antitrust violation. So the NCAA didn't have an antitrust exemption, but they kind of ran things like they did. And they never really faced any major legal trouble because of it until right now. Um, so uh, how might this uh, lead to some changes right away. 
Well, uh, one former athletic director and lawyer, uh, who's also a former NFL player too, Oliver Luck, said that the ruling could give schools the opportunity to use new enticements to recruit, to recruit athletes as long as those enticements are related to education. So, for instance, like if Stanford wants to get the best volleyball player in the country, uh, they could also offer her um, tuition to pay for her uh, law degree or, or med school degree or, or something else further down the road. Um, and, and that's because uh, this decision did have to do with education purposes still. And it's also uh, partially for that reason, this has been called a narrow but potentially transformative ruling. And that's because, at least for right now, the changes uh, that will happen are, are likely small, like the changes that will happen just purely because of the reason, or, or I'm sorry, because of the decision. But in the future, uh, this decision could lead to huge changes. There could be new lawsuits that come, new challenges that come. Um, you know, starting in, on July 1st, the name, image, and likeness uh, sort of rules that the NCAA has always had are being thrown out of the water in a handful of states, mostly in the South, who have passed laws in their state houses saying that, yeah, athletes can profit off of their name, image, and likeness. So all things, all these things will come to the forefront, uh, just as, as the Supreme Court ruled that the NCAA's uh, justification for why it believes in amateurism or, or why it uses amateurism is not sufficient. So um, this will not be the last that we talk about the NCAA in the courtroom. Okay, well, that's it for this week. Uh, again, I thank you all for listening, and uh, we'll talk again soon.